0: Friday night, um, I was able to deliver on my Mother's Day gift to Megan, and we went and saw Jesus Christ Superstar at the Paramount in uh, Aurora. Anybody else seen that? It was a wonderful production, yeah. Um, Our son Lucas and his wife were with us. It was a it was a powerful, very powerful uh, presentation of that musical. Um, I don't know if you're that familiar with it. It came out the year I graduated from high school. It's that old, 1970. Um, and not everybody has always agreed, perhaps, with some of the portrayal or the theology of it. And yet, I feel like Jesus Christ Superstar is still respectful of the person of Jesus and is very respectful of a lot of the events of his life, particularly uh, the last week of his life. What I noted was how some of the early songs got at the questions that the disciples had of Jesus. They were really trying to figure out who he really was and what he was really doing. And some of you may have heard the one song, you know, What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's going on? Who is this guy and what's he calling us to? The character of Judas is a very central to this musical, and the character, uh, the person who played Judas on Friday night was um, um, amazing. I mean, uh, his voice was kind of over the top amazing. But what's amazing about the character of Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar is that he he, he not only comes with what we know about Judas and sort of his deceit and his weakness, but also um, these questions of trying to figure Jesus out trying to just figure out who he was and what he was doing and calling him to question. Some feel that Judas wasn't just a bad guy, but he was, he was actually an insurrectionist. In other words, he was one of those who was looking for the overthrow of the Roman oppressors and return to the true kingdom of Israel and that Jesus would perhaps be that one is what he was looking for. and So therefore his confusion when Jesus would talk about the kingdom in other ways. So there are these questions of Jesus, this confusion about the kingdom. And it's what we hear at the beginning of today's passage, where the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Tell me what's happening. Is this the time? Is that the buzz right now? Are you going to restore this kingdom to us that we've been longing for? And in Jesus' answer and in what follows, Jesus redirects them to his true mission, to his true kingdom, and gives them the promise of this power to come in the Holy Spirit. That that will empower them to reach the world with the hope of the kingdom. And the passage then moves from there and it, and it moves on in through the ascension and then it closes in the final words that Emily just read with the church gathered together praying and waiting for the Spirit. Because what's a week from today? You know what a week from today is? Pentecost, Pentecost, when you will celebrate the coming of the Spirit. So here's what I want to say this morning, that today's text from Acts moves from the final moments of Jesus' post-resurrection appearance on earth to the early church waiting in hope, waiting in prayer to receive the Holy Spirit's power, waiting to reach out and to move forward in hope. We've been talking about the church moving forward in hope in all these texts in Acts the last several weeks. The table depicts that this uh, pickup truck is moving forward with hope in it. There's a, it says hope on the side there, but it's just this idea of the church moving forward. Peggy, if we cut the roof off that car, might look like your new convertible. Actually, I was just thinking about that, but um, seriously, the church moving forward in hope in this pivotal moment of Jesus teaching about the kingdom, his ascension, and waiting for the Spirit. We'll look at, first of all, this sort of mission correction that Jesus needs to give to them and the direction that he points out to them. Secondly, we'll look at the ascension and the expectation that that created in the disciples. And thirdly, we'll see how this little community, this original church was connected and praying and interceding together. Verse 6 again says, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for a kingdom. Even though Jesus had spent all this time with them and he taught them about the kingdom of God, They still seem to have this expectation that was so deeply rooted in their Hebrew culture. God was the king of Israel. They'd known all their lives that God was the king of Israel, that they were the chosen people of God, and that one day God would come back and send his king, his Messiah, his anointed one to be the literal king of this kingdom on earth in what we call the Holy Land now. King David's reign had come close. They remembered fondly the days of King David's reign and rule. It had come close to what they expected. That's why so much of their expectation for the Messiah was that he was the son of David and maybe he would bring this kingdom in. And so that's what they were asking about then. It's what they expected. It's what they were asking about. It's what they preferred. It's what they wanted. They wanted the good old kingdom that just belonged to them. We want our kingdom the way it's supposed to be. We don't really care about all those pesky Gentiles out there. (laughs) It was an internally focused mission. Their mission was to regain something that they felt had been taken away from them. And they wanted to know just how soon it would come. Is this now when you will bring us the kingdom? I was thinking of all nutty things. I was thinking of Willy Waka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know how many fans are out there. But one of our family's favorite characters in that is Veruca Salt. And when did Veruca Salt want something? But I want it now. I want it now, she would say. And her father would say, I'll have it for you before the day is out, Veruca. And the disciples are saying, but we want it now. We want that kingdom now. When do we get our old church back? I mean, when do we get our old kingdom back? Oops. (laughs) And Jesus stops them short and he corrects them and he redirects them from this internal time-oriented focus. And he says, you know, it's not for you to know the time. The time is not your business. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. And He turns them to their externally focused mission. Rather, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the correction and redirection comes with uh, rather sort of a, a time sensitive promise. Jesus turns this promise, he says, of waiting. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The kingdom to come is not this earthly one here in Jerusalem, but the kingdom will be the rule and reign of God in the hearts of people. It'll be the rule and the reign of God in the hearts of his people, all kinds of people all over the world. It will impact their individual lives. It will also impact their cultures. It will impact their sense of compassion and justice. And care for others. And Jesus is saying, and you Christians, you are the delivery system. You will be witnesses to these things. The witness says, this is what I saw. This is what I've experienced. This is what I know to be true. You will be my witnesses about Jesus and his kingdom. The disciples are no doubt feeling this is a big, scary job. But Jesus says, there's power coming. The Holy Spirit is coming to get you focused outward, he says. Now, I slipped up when I said church, but of course it was in my notes. You all knew that, but it's true, isn't it? <laughs> our energy and resources, I've seen it over the years, we, we do good things, but so often our energy and our resources turn inward, and we, we, it takes so much of our time and energy and, and budget dollars to maintain an institution. And, and that's okay to a degree. We, we need this place to, to, to connect with each other and to grow strong. But sometimes we're just maintaining an institution where we're known, where it's familiar, and where we feel safe from the world out there. The church is family, and the church ought to be a safe place where we care for one another. But its ultimate mission is focused outward. We do all that so that we're stronger and healthier to pursue the outward-focused mission that Jesus calls us to. And Jesus said so. And he gives us the power to do so. And he gives us a few details about where about extending the kingdom in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is probably a pretty well-known verse to to many of us. There's lots and lots of mission sermons based on this one. It's right up there with preaching on the Great Commission. Go therefore into the world and make disciples. These are the big missionary call verses, and and for good reason. And these geographic designations of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, these are generally interpreted as as concentric circles. And to a degree, that's true. They are emanating out from Jerusalem. It was in the the area of Judea and next door was Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. But I heard a little bit of a, a different perspective on that in a book that we've been reading on the executive board called Organic Outreach for Churches. And Kevin Harney in that book says that they interpreted that Jerusalem actually is their church. Jerusalem is their extended church family in the homes. We need to be witnesses there first. We need to be witnesses to one another. We need to be witnesses to our children, the children that we baptize and dedicate and bring up. We need to make sure they know the truth of Jesus Christ. That's our Jerusalem. The Judea then becomes the communities around the church and where we all live and work are the places where we're interacting on a daily basis is our, our Judea. Samaria it's not necessarily just the next ring out, but it's the place where people are different. The Samaritans were different than the Jews. They were half-breed Jews, and the Jews really didn't even like them that much. They were different. The Jews didn't really know how to interact with them. This then becomes a challenge to go to those who are of a different culture, the challenge of ours to go to those who are of a different socioeconomic background, a different ethnicity, different religions even, to to go and to connect and to listen and to learn and to be witnesses to the good news of Jesus. Our Samarias are not very far away. Some are right in, even in our Judea, aren't they? (laughs) In terms of the people we encounter, they're different from us and don't think the same way and don't have maybe the framework of a Christian faith. Or life has been so difficult, life has been so difficult and, 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 and painful that a person is hardened and therefore there's a kind of a coating around the heart and they're different because there doesn't seem to be a receptivity or even a desire to change. But we're called to all of them. And of course then the ends of the earth, which says it all. In the past missions was only there, you know, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. No, there's all that in between as well. So Jesus here has corrected the mission, and now he has directed them, and then he leaves. He leaves. We have the ascension, the ascension and the expectation that comes with it. Megan and I were in Sweden about 12 years ago. Not a drop of Swedish blood in us, but we've been covenanters forever, and we, uh, also our son Cooper was studying at the school in Jönköping, Sweden. So we went over there to celebrate our, uh, our 30th anniversary and we, I think we traveled on a Tuesday, and then we stayed overnight in Stockholm, and then on Wednesday, we, we drove to yunshipping So our first full day in the country was was Thursday, and we got up and we found out that everybody was off work on Thursday, and all the stores were closed. It was Ascension Day. You all knew that, right? Well, in Sweden, it's a holiday. They take it off all over Europe. Everywhere the church has historically been celebrates and honors ascension day how do we figure out ascension day it's easy easter plus 40 it's 40 days after easter that's why it's always on a thursday because easter's always on a sunday and christmas is always on the 25th anyway um so somehow ascension somehow we evangelicals skipped past that it was sort of kind of just kind of didn't make our radar but mainline and catholic particularly and even in countries that are largely secular like sweden everybody knows ascension day and that's what happens we were also there a week later when it was Pentecost. And I love the Swedish word for Pentecost Pinkst. P I N G S T. Pinkst. This is kind of fun to say. That's my whole Swedish vocabulary, other than how to order coffee. The ascension happened. Luke records it. Luke alone records it. He records it right here. And he also, the final verses of his gospel, talk about the ascension. We say we believe in it every time we do the Apostles' Creed. Right? I believe mean, Jesus Christ, the only Son, born of the Virgin died and buried. He ascended into heaven. That part. He ascended into heaven. We say it when we do the Apostles' Creed. But let's look at just a little bit about what it meant, what it meant for Jesus, first of all. For Jesus, it was going back into that glorified place that he had set aside in order to come to earth. I'm just going to read you a chunk I took out of a commentary by Lloyd Ogilvie about this. He says, Consider what the ascension meant to Jesus. It was his ascent to heaven for glorification. The first part of the mighty work of the divine word was completed. A small band of people were ready to receive the transformation of his spirit in them. He had lived and died and risen from the dead for the birth of a new creation. Now the Lord's ministry, which had been limited to the body of Jesus of Nazareth, was now home with the triumphant company of heaven. So even though he was resurrected, he was still limited. He was still on earth. This way he enters back into the fullness of of his glory with the Father, which we can only use words to describe it imperfectly. <laughs> but that's what it meant for Jesus to, to end this chapter and to hand off more, because what it meant for the disciples was now they could move forward in power. Obviously, at first, it was really hard. How could they get along without the presence of Jesus? In fact, God knew that it was going to be hard for them, so he actually sent two messengers, two, we believe, angels, are the ones who gave that, those words of encouragement to say, he's going to come back. <laughs> But what it meant for the disciples is that this was a prelude, in a sense, to their, their new expanded call. They didn't really realize it yet, but they needed Jesus to return to heaven where he would reign and send his spirit as his ongoing present. He couldn't be present to everybody when he's still on earth, but he could be present to everybody in the power of the spirit. And this is what it meant for the disciples. This is what it means for us. We would like to see a walking, talking, breathing Jesus as well. For them, they needed him to go in order for this to be released, the spirit to be released. This is what the ascension means and this is then what it means for the future is that he's coming back. These two men said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It is that expectation, of the consummation of the kingdom, this certain perfect future that enables the church then and now to move forward in hope. Jesus is coming again. This, there's, there's chapters still to unfold in the ways in which God is working with us and through us. And the ascension is one of the grand transitions in that story. Liam, please don't play with that. Okay? Thank you. Finally, there's this little glimpse of the The early church, this connection together in this upper room, in their intercession, their prayer. Verse 12 shows that they are all in. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and those present were. And then it lists the names of the, not 12, but 11 disciples. Judas is gone. But also these women disciples that were there too, not named at this point, but part of the company of believers that are there, plus Jesus' family, some who had been skeptical about their son and brother, and yet now, after experiencing the resurrection, believe and they're there and they're getting it. This is the church. This is the church pulled together. They're all in. They're waiting and they're all praying. Verse 14 says they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were praying for the mission that was there. Prayer was vital for them now. It's pri- vital for our mission now as well. They were waiting in hope. They were waiting to go. We don't have to wait for the Spirit to come, He's already here. But we still wait in prayer. We still wait in hope for the second coming of Christ. But our waiting is not a passive waiting in an upper room huddled together anymore. Our waiting is an active waiting. Our waiting is an active waiting, heading out into Jerusalem to one another and those that we love within a church family to make sure the message is through. And then our waiting is is going out into the Judea around us. Our waiting and prayer for ways to approach the Samaria, the the, the different places that God calls us to. And seeking God's direction. I want to return just quickly to the, the bless acrostic as we push into the summer and you experience Windy City Project. The B of bless is begin with prayer. God, where are you already working? Help us see that. And when we make connections with, our, with people in our Judea and our, our Jerusalem and our Samaria, Lord, help us to listen well and to learn what's on people's hearts. What is their story? Where is their hurt? Where is their pain? Where is their hope? Where is their spiritual experience already? And then, Lord, when the time is right, let's eat together. Let barbecue and books be a time to meet somebody different in Samaria and listen and learn. And then looking for ways to serve with love and finally time to share or to be a witness. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will be a witness to your story of how I've changed your life and given you hope and extended my grace to you. Jesus had to correct the mission of the early church. And I think we need to ask that question of ourselves from time to time. Where does my own mission need correction? Where have I turned inward on me, and where have we turned inward on us and forgotten to look outward to where he's calling us? And then I just leave you with the challenge. I will be praying for you in the next eight weeks, and I covet your prayers for me and for Megan and our family as well. We're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea. Yay! (laughs) And even be near the part that was called Samaria then. We're going to be in Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee. But I'm praying that that will be a time also to spark this bigger picture of what Jesus meant. He didn't just mean those places. He meant the whole world. And he gives us the power to do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. For the power of the Spirit that you send to us and through us. Forgive us when we get our mission narrowed down to ourselves. And Lord, help us to not waste too much time feeling bad about that, but to open ourselves up to your Spirit. As you lead us to make the connections with those that need to desperately know your love and be part of your kingdom, of your rule and your reign and your grace and your love and compassion. We pray this and ask it in your name, Lord. Amen.